And if you would, turn with me to the book of Jonah, the Old Testament prophet Jonah, as we start a new series in the book of Jonah, which I am uh, excited about. I've never preached through Jonah. I've taught through Jonah many, many times, but I've never actually preached through Jonah. In this series, there will be probably, I don't know, the next six weeks or so, I pray, my hope is, the title of this series Navigating a God-Centered Life. And I hope that's what we're going to discover together as a body as we look at this, uh, this uh, small but very powerful and impactful book of Jonah. So turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to just look at the first three verses of Jonah chapter 1 today. But before I read God's Word to us this morning, let me pray for us. God, we do thank You. We need Your Word. It is the only way that we can know of faith and godliness. That Your Word is alive and active and it's what transforms men's heart that takes someone who is completely dead in their sins and lord through your word and through the power of the holy spirit you apply those truths to that dead heart and because of what jesus has done his death and ultimately resurrection on the cross lord you use your word to quicken and call people to yourself and bring someone from death to life to new life to be born again and that's astounding so lord your word is powerful i pray that we wouldn't check out, but Lord, more than anything, we would be more, than, more engaged than ever before as we hear the precious truth and promises of your word this morning. So come, Holy Spirit, apply it to our minds and hearts. Awaken our sense of imagination and adventure and hope and longing that we might hear your word, you might speak to us, quicken us, aliven, enliven our hearts and our minds to you, that you might transform us from the inside out to be more like Jesus, to love Jesus more, and to love your people more. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, here we go. Jonah chapter 1, first three verses. Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. Here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose, just like God asked him to do, but he fled. He fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Well, what do you think of when you think of the book of Jonah? Go ahead, tell me. The whale, yes, that's right. Or you think either whale or you think a guy who was a prophet and who he ran from the Lord. And it's interesting, you know, he, he repeats himself twice. Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but many of you, well, I don't know about, yeah, I don't know about you, but many of us, we like to be in control of our circumstances, don't we? Who control, has control issues in here this morning? I do, right? We all like to be in control, right? And, and so what is it like when interruptions come into your life? when you're in control. Do you like that? No. You don't normally like interruptions, do you? They're frustrating. They get in the way of your plan, right? They kind of get in, get in the way of your agenda. So you, you want to be able to get back into business, right, when interruptions come your way. Well, that's what we're going to see is this one grand divine interruption in the life of Jonah the prophet. And oh, man, is it a grand interruption. And oh, man, it is a lovely and God-centered interruption as well. And I hope that's what we're going to see in the next few weeks as the Lord interrupts the life of Jonah. And we see God's interrupting love. I love that. We see God's 
interrupting love and grace in his life. Now, Jonah's name means dove in Hebrew. I don't know if you knew that, but Jonah's name literally means dove in Hebrew. But how different is Jonah's name and what his main name meant as dove than the first dove that we saw, right, that flew from the ark to dry land where we see the kingdom of God being reestablished after the terrible judgment of the flood, right? We don't know a whole lot about Jonah. Uh, here are a few things that we do know, okay? Only a couple of things. First of all, his own book, right? Jonah's own book identifies him in really the briefest ways possible, right? First one, what does it tell us about Jonah? Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying what? Go arise to the city of Nineveh, the great city. So this is a brief intro, and you, you might think, well, gosh, that really doesn't give us much of information about who Jonah is, but actually, it does give us a clue, and, and using that clue that it gives us here in verse 1, let's track down what we can find out about this elusive prophet, Jonah. Well, he gets an honorable mention by Jesus, right? If you, if you go to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus mentions Jonah, gets this honorable mention, but he gets a little bit more press time in the Old Testament. Not just in the book of Jonah, but one other spot in the Old Testament, and that's in Second Kings chapter 12, where we find a little bit more about Jonah. Actually, it's chapter 14, where Jonah gets a little bit more press time. And so actually, I want to ask you to turn with me. Go ahead in your Bibles. There are pew Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be some Bibles in the seat in front of you. Grab a Bible. Turn with me to the book of Second Kings chapter 14, because we, read, we need, really, really need to read this passage together to get a little bit more background about this elusive prophet Jonah. So go to 2 Kings 14, and we're going to read 2 Kings 14, 23 through 27, where we get the most detail about Jonah. So here we go, 2 Kings 14, 23 through 27, and this is what it tells us about Jonah. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam. So there was another king in Israel named, there were two Jeroboams. We have Jeroboam, uh, king of Israel, um, son of Joash, and then we have Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Okay, both Jeroboams, both kings were bad news. Both caused Israel to sin and led Israel into sin, okay? So Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, did not depart from sin or leading Israel in sin, just like king of uh, Jeroboam, son of Joash, did as well. Here's where Jonah comes in, verse 25. So Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he, that king, restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was no one left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that He would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now what does this tell us? Here we have the Lord using this king, this evil king Jeroboam, to restore some of Israel's land back to them that was taken away by their enemies. And whose mouthpiece or whose mouth does he use to prophesy that? Jonah. Okay, so we got that. So that's where Jonah, that's where we discover the most that we can in the Old Testament about Jonah other than his book, Jonah. So Jonah was, was a prophet during some dark and 
dreary days in Israel, God's chosen people's life as a nation. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this backdrop, if you will, of the sad and dark times of God's people. And we're going to see that, in jo- that Jonah, even in the midst of this dark time in Israel's life, enjoyed some very special spiritual blessings, even during this time. And it's against this backdrop of these dark times with God's people that we're going to see Jonah's spiritual blessings and privileges that he enjoyed, right? And that's going to help us make sense of why he ran from the Lord. Because that's what it tells us right away, right? Jonah says, no. <laughs> Lord, I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm running. And he runs, right? So how do we make sense of that? This guy who enjoyed all these privileges and blessings, why did he run? That's what I hope we're going to make sense of today as we look at these spiritual blessings that Jonah enjoyed during these dark times in Israel's days. So we've already talked about what is it that you think of when you hear about Jonah. Well, we think he was you know, the guy who got swallowed by the whale or he was the prophet who ran from God. But Jonah was also a very blessed man. He had some very distinct privileges that he enjoyed. And what were those privileges? There are three that we're going to see this morning. And the first one is this, this blessing of service that Jonah enjoyed, this privilege of service that Jonah as a prophet enjoyed. So let me ask you a question. Why do you think being a prophet of God was such a privilege? Ever wondered that? Why do you think being called as a prophet of God would involve having blessing or privilege? Well, Jonah was given this very specific term, right, we saw in 2 Kings, of servant, right? The writer of Kings said that Jonah was a servant. The Lord used him as a servant, right? In fact, he uses the term to define who Jonah was, a servant first, and then later calls him prophet in the same sentence, but uses the term servant first, right? And so the writer of Kings says Jonah was a servant. And when you see this term servant in the Old Testament, it's a very technical term, and here's what it means. When you see the term servant, it should be like a neon sign to make you stop and say, okay, here's what this means. A servant in the Old Testament was someone who has been specifically set apart by God for a unique purpose. So whenever you see the term servant in the Old Testament, it means somebody who has been specifically set apart by God for a very unique service, okay? And so in the Old Testament, for instance, we see that. There's a guy named Amos who was an Old Testament prophet, okay? And Amos speaks about the servants of the prophets, or the servants of the prophets. And I want to read to you what Amos says about the servants, the prophets, because it underlines, it, it highlights, Amos highlights what an absolute privilege it was to be called a servant of God, to be called a prophet, okay? So I'll read you these words from Amos chapter 3. If you want to go there, it's just a short verse. But Amos chapter 3, verse 7, Amos says this about prophets and servants. He says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secrets to His servants, the prophets. Let me read that again. Here's why it was so, such a privilege to be a servant or a prophet. The Lord God does nothing without revealing His secrets, His secrets to His servants, the prophets. So here's the deal. If you are a servant, if you are a prophet in the Old Testament, you belong to an elite group of men who heard things from God that nobody else ever would hear. That's very privileged, right? If you are a servant, an Old Testament servant, a prophet, and you heard from God, that's incredibly privileged for you to hear that, right? 
You are in the presence, literally in the presence of God, and God is communicating to you things that nobody else knows or will understand. You would stand in the presence of God, and you would feel the presence of God and God's will and His calling bearing down on your soul. And you would hear the unmistakable voice of God in your life telling you what He, God, was going to be doing among the nations for His glory. Wow, what an incredible privilege. Okay, so that was servant, when you see that in the Old Testament. Another word that you'll see in the Old Testament that's the same as a, as a, as a servant or a prophet is the word seer, S-E-E-R. Okay, so you see three terms in the Old Testament that define someone who has this distinct privilege of hearing directly from God. Prophet, servant, and seer, S-E-E-R. Now, a seer is someone, a man who had insight, a prophet who had insight, somebody who was allowed by God to see into the purposes of the eternal Godhead, triune Godhead, and then be given this divine commission sent by the triune God himself to proclaim God and his gospel to the nations. And that seer, that servant, that prophet would be sent by God to God's people and to begin to bring those people under the authority of God's word. It was such a distinct and privileged position. So Jonah was this man of this elite order, almost like the Navy SEALs of God's prophets, right? This elite order of guys, of men who God revealed his secrets to. And God told Jonah that he, what he was going to do. Jonah, you need to go do this. Jonah was given the very words of God. God told him what to say. He was given sermons. He was given messages. I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Matrix, right, where they plugged in your head and they downloaded the programs of karate or whatever. Like, that's kind of what God did that he gave Jonah messages. He gave Jonah sermons downloaded to his head and his heart to go and give to Israel, to go and give to his people. And the people, oh my goodness, the people remembered what Jonah said. When a prophet came into town and spoke, it was like E.F. Hutton, everybody listens. (laughs) They remembered his message. Oh yeah, I remember that sermon Jonah preached. Man, that was a good one. Woo, that one stepped on my toes. I mean, that, that was the message. God gave Jonah, his prophet, this privileged servant, these powerful truths and messages of the gospel to Jonah. And Jonah would preach and people remembered his messages. They remembered his prophecies and they saw these prophecies that Jonah said would happen. They saw them fulfilled. They happened, right? And so the passage of 2 Kings tells us that. It tells us that Israel was in horrible shape that they were in trouble as a nation, that they were rebelling against God, that Israel, God's chosen people, were neglecting worship of God. They were fragrantly disobeying His commands. They were worshiping all of these pagan idols. They were sacrificing their own children to these stone gods. It was a mess. Israel was in bad shape. And God sends this prophet, this servant, this seer, Jonah, to tell them of their rebellion and of their gross sin against God the Father. And and what does God do? Instead of wiping them off the face of the earth, which is what Israel deserved, what what does God do? What does the writer of Kings tell us that God felt? What does he say? Verse 26 and 27. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very what? Bitter. For there was none left, bond or free. There was none to help Israel. But the Lord, what did he do? The Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, even an evil king. And so the Lord sends Jonah to tell Israel that King Jeroboam would save his people, even though he was evil, by restoring Israel, restoring their land back to them that had been taken away by their enemies. So put yourself in Jonah's shoes for a minute. 
here you are, your people, Israel, your Jew, Jew, fellow Jewish folks who God has cho- whom God has chosen are rebelling against God like crazy. And God has given you this special message to share with your own people about God is going to restore our land even though we're rebelling against him. Now think of yourself, what if you were Jonah? You'd be thinking, gosh, my people deserve God's judgment, right? God, why don't you wipe us off the face of the earth, right? So here Jonah is seeing the rebellion of his people, yet he has been given this message of mercy and grace that God is going to restore our homeland back to us. And so if you think about that for a minute, Jonah is very privileged that he is seeing God's grace worked out in the lives of his people, even though they don't deserve it. Deserve it. That's why he was so privileged. He was ministering to these people in such a time of rebellion, and then God told Jonah, listen, Jonah, your message is not to be a message of judgment and condemnation against my people. No, instead, I want you to preach the message of grace, Jonah. And I want you to tell Israel that I'm going to restore their home to them because they are an afflicted people. I don't want to lose my children, my Israel. I don't want to see their name blotted out. And Jonah hears that. He speaks that message. And then he witnesses his words coming true and Israel's land is restored. So Jonah is in this place of witnessing the long-suffering and patience of God to his people and witnessing Israel's rebellion. And he witnesses God's grace and blessing on his people instead of God condemning them. And so he has witnessed the astounding and radical grace of God to his people. That is an inestimable privilege that Jonah has, has, has seen and taken part of. But that's the only the beginning of Jonah's spiritual privileges. For secondly, we see that Jonah had not only this privilege of seeing God's grace, but he had the privilege of this sense of destiny. He had a sense of destiny. You know, as we saw in 2 Kings, Israel was in this terrible state of chaos as a nation, Right? They were in serious crisis. It was a major time of crisis for God's people. You know, the kings of Israel, for the most part, were not following the Lord. There were some stiff consequences because of Israel's sin. But at the same time, during these dark times as a nation, God was at work. God was at work. You see, Jonah wasn't the first prophet. You see, there were other predecessors, other prophets, even in Jonah's life, like Elijah and Elisha. You probably know about those two prophets, very famous right? And so God was breaking through the darkness of those times once again with these prophets who were preaching and speaking God's word to his people. And there were these little glimmers of light and hope in the midst of this darkness in these men like Elijah and Elisha and Jonah. And all of these Old Testament prophets were cut from the same cloth. They were all had these the same interesting characteristic. They all had this sense of destiny. Each one of these Old Testament prophets if you read about their lives, had a real sense of destiny. They had this sense of call in their life. They had this sense of destiny on which they threw themselves into the work and ministry of a prophet as God had called them. Now think about this if you were an Old Testament prophet. And some people think about this as pastors. Yeah, you only work one hour a week on Sundays. You know, you got an easy job. It's not an easy job, folks. It's not. And think about prophets. It wasn't just this simple nine-to-five cush job like banker hours. Well, I'm going to go say that they're sinners and I'm going to go play golf, right? I mean, prophets, it was a hard job. It wasn't a nine-to-five job. They were mocked and they were stoned and they were run out of town. It was a tough, tough job being a prophet. Do you think it would be easy to walk into the religious temple where everybody's gathered and they're comfortable and cozy, having their ears tickled, 
And Jonah comes in and says, you guys are a bunch of big sinners. You are huge sinners. And God's judgment will come down upon you if you don't repent and turn to him. You think he was popular? No. The true prophet of God had a hard job, and they know without a shadow of doubt that it was going to involve suffering and trial, but they knew that they had a sense of destiny. They had this sense of calling that enabled them to do this ministry, to to devote their lives to this ministry, even though it was lonely and dangerous. So this knowledge and this sense of destiny is what got them through these dark and stressful times. Think about that in the life of the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul called himself an apostle. He called himself a prophet. You know, Paul realized, if you think about his life, you read the book of Acts and his conversion. Think about Paul's life. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't, he, he, did, he didn't fit into the expected order of things, did he? He knew that the only reason that he was an apostle, only reason that God appointed him as an apostle and a prophet was because of God's special mercy in his life. And you read through his epistles. Think about his conversion account. Think about his subsequent ministry uh, and testimony about him in the book of Acts. Was it easy? No. He suffered as a prisoner, right? He, he uh, experienced hardship. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was, received lashes. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. And yet he kept going in his ministry. How did he do that? Because of the sense of calling, the sense of destiny that was placed on Paul's life. Paul knew what he was for. Jonah knew what he was for. And friends, beloved, this is an important principle for us as a church. You see, there are a few things, I think, few things more important for you as a believer. If you are in Christ here this morning, there are few things more important for for your life than to have a conscious sense of God's destiny for your life. Do you have a conscious sense of what am I for? God... What is my life about? Now, God might not be giving you this sense of destiny to be a prophet. God might not be giving you this sense of destiny to be a minister or a missionary or an elder or a deacon. That's okay. You know what God's will is for you? This is a professor at Columbia International University said this years ago. Students say, you know, professor, I can't remember his name, but professor so-and-so, what is God's will for my life? You know what his answer was? Today. Today is God's will for you. Maybe you're not going to be a missionary or maybe you're not going to be a prophet or a preacher or, or a Sunday school teacher or an elder or a deacon. But you're a mother or you're a student or you're a husband or you're a grandparent or you're a laborer or you're a boss or you're a co-worker or you're a worker or you're a neighbor. All of you, God has placed you in roles and he has given you this sense of destiny. You know what? The biggest sense of destiny I pray that you cling to and you know is that you know God and that you make him known. That's the biggest sense of destiny that the Lord has placed in your life. Not spiritual fame, but Lord, I'm about you. That my life is about you. That I want my life to be a God-centered life. And that is my most important sense of destiny. That I know you and that I long to make you known in whatever my role is. Whether it's mother or father or grandparent or worker or banker or pizza deliveryman or whatever it is. You see, Jonah had this ultimate sense of destiny. He knew what he was for. God made it crystal clear to him, didn't he? He had come to know God's will for his life. And that is a precious and privileged thing to know that, God's will for you. Maybe this morning you're wrestling with that. God, what is your will? Do I need to go here? Do I go to this school? Do I marry this person? What, What is it? Well, first and foremost, 
Today is his will for you. Trust him today for, what did Jesus say? Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. So we meet Jonah in these opening words of his book in verse 1 that he had this clear sense of calling and destiny. And what was that clear sense of calling and destiny? Jonah, go to Nineveh, right? Clear as a bell. And so he had that clear sense of destiny. And then thirdly, we see that Jonah had this unique blessing and privilege of spiritual fellowship. Do you know that Jonah had a youth group growing up? Jonah had a youth group growing up as a teenager. How do I know this? Second Kings tells us. You know, it was, I'm not sure if Jonah's parents, he, he jumped on the back of the camel and his parents dropped him off at the temple on Wednesday nights. I don't know if that's what they did or not, but Jonah had a youth group. He did. Second Kings tells us that. Imagine, I think we probably imagine that many of the Old Testament prophets just kind of came out of nowhere, right? I mean, if you think about Elijah, for instance, you read 1 King, you get to chapter 16 and 17 of 1 Kings, and all of a sudden, Elijah appears out of nowhere, right? It's kind of a now you see me and now you don't kind of deal. And here, Elijah appears with God's message, and then bam, in the blink of an eye, he's gone in 1 Kings. Seems like he appears out of nowhere. Amos, the Old Testament prophet, which we referenced earlier, same kind of deal. You know, Amos is just the shepherd. He's minding his own business one day, shepherding flocks, and God appears to him. And the very next day, Amos is out proclaiming the word of God. Bam, he's gone. So in reality, it seems like these Old Testament prophets kind of appear out of nowhere, that God just appears to work suddenly. But in reality, if you read Genesis to Revelation, you see that God is working across the span of history in well-planned and long-rehearsed movements and is constant threads of providence are interweaving and constantly interrelating and God is bringing history to an end when someday every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to the Lord Jesus. But if you read back through the beginnings of 2 Kings, you'll see this reference to this sentence or this phrase, the sons of prophets. So put that in your head, sons of prophets. So if we were to read this book of 2 Kings, Especially through the first part of that book, you would see this phrase, sons of prophets, repeated again and again and again. And if you read the beginning of 2 Kings, do you realize that Jonah, during this time of 2 Kings, when it was written, was a teenager? And you hear this phrase, sons of prophets. And here's what God means when he uses this phrase, sons of prophets. That he's bringing these older prophets who were devoted to God and devoted to the Lord's service, like Elijah and Elisha. He was bringing these older prophets in to mentor these younger Jewish teenagers like Jonah. That's why Jonah had a youth group. And these older prophets like Elijah and Elisha would come and train these men, these young teenage boys like Jonah. He would train them to go out and advance God's kingdom. It was really like a school of prophets, if you will. If you ever saw a red Harry Potter It's like Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. It's like what it was. It was all these young prophets coming in and sitting under the tutelage of guys like Elijah and Elisha. How awesome would that be? These very godly men that God purposely put in Jonah's life to give him spiritual encouragement and fellowship with these godly men. And, you know, I look back over my own life and I thank the Lord for such godly men the Lord has placed in my life who have loved me who have pointed me to Jesus, who have poured themselves into me. And I've had the privilege of being loved on and mentored by older men who love the Lord Jesus and who love His church. If you have ever tasted of that, if you're here this morning and you have older folks in your life who have loved Jesus and who have poured into you, thank the Lord for that. 
Thank the Lord with deep gratitude that there have, God has sent people into your life to love you and point you to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you have a community of friends around you who love the Lord and y'all are seeking the Lord together. You're growing in intimacy with Jesus. You're seeking God's will for your lives together. Do you realize how privileged you are? There are so many today in the churches who don't have that level of community. If you've got that, stop for a minute and say, Jesus, thank you. Forgive me for taking that for granted. What a gift. That's a plug for our small group ministry here. If you don't have that, you can have that. Maybe the problem is you just don't want that. But we have a small group ministry here. We have community groups who meet, and the whole design for those groups is for you to get connected to, to grow in a community of folks who love Jesus and who love each other. If you're not yet plugged into a community group, come and see me. I'd love to get you plugged in. I'd love to help you begin to grow in that kind of community. To even have older people pour into your life. There are older folks in our congregation, no offense, older folks, but there are older souls here in our congregation who would love to pour into you. Come and see me. I'd love to connect you so that they can guide you in their wisdom, that they can point you to Jesus. They can pray with you. What an inestimable privilege if you have that. Well, we've seen these amazing privileges that Jonah had, right? He, he was privileged with this amazing sense of service. God chose Jonah, right? For no other reason than his grace to be a prophet. God shared his missionary heart with Jonah. Wow, right? God's saying, listen, Jonah, I love the nations and I love my fame and my glory and my name and I am going to extend it across the world to the nations and I want you to be part of that, Jonah. God shared that with Jonah. What an inestimable privilege, this sense of service he had. Then we see that he had this privileged sense of destiny. He knew what God wanted him to do. He knew that God was for him. He knew that God would equip him to go and do ministry. And then we see that he was privileged with this sense of community and fellowship and mentoring in his life. He was rich with spiritual blessings, wasn't he? I mean, you would have to agree. Would you agree? Was Jonah rich in spiritual blessings? Yes, he really was. But you read the book of Jonah, and here's the kicker. Think about this. Despite all of the past spiritual blessings that Jonah tasted, right? Despite all of the spiritual successes that Jonah had with his own people Israel, right? I mean, he gave a prophecy and the Lord brought it to pass and it came true. That's a success. That's a win, right? Despite all of his past spiritual blessings, despite all of his past spiritual successes and usefulness for God's kingdom, you get to the book of Jonah. And what does it tell us about Jonah? He blows it. He blew it. And do you realize that Jonah is autobiographical? It was written by Jonah himself. It wasn't written by somebody else pointing out the faults of Jonah. No, most conservative scholars and most even liberal scholars believe that Jonah was written by himself. It's autobiographical. So here's the kicker. Why wouldn't Jonah write about all of his past spiritual blessings and all of his past spiritual successes? Why instead would he write about his failures? He writes about that he fell on his face. He writes that he said no to God and ran from God. What's up with that? Well, I hope we're going to see as we read and we study Jonah over the next several weeks that it's not just that Jonah wants us to see his huge spiritual failures, but he uses his admission of his spiritual failures. He uses his admission of falling flat on his face. He uses his admission of shipwrecking almost in his faith to point us 
to something far more profound and precious. To show us how God's sovereign love and grace gave him the opportunity to really experience and believe what he had preached to his own people back in Israel. You see, God had much bigger plans for Jonah than just being a comfortable prophet with his own people. God had huge plans, just for, not just for Jonah, but God had huge plans for the world. And he was going to use Jonah as part of those plans to bring all nations under his name and his glory. You know, I think if Jonah would have stayed with his own people, just stayed that comfortable prophet in Israel, I don't think he would have learned these lessons of God's sovereign love and grace. No, God brought huge interruptions into Jonah's life. Why? To show Jonah how much he loved him. You see, friends, I am praying that the Lord would show you this, just like he did with Jonah. This is my prayer, and I've been praying this this week. I will pray this, and I will continue to pray this, that God will do whatever it takes to you to show you how much he radically loves you. He radically loves you. He radically loves his glory and his name and his fame. And he will spread it among the nations even today. And he wants to use you even to do that. And sometimes God will bring radical, interrupting grace into your life. For Jonah, it was in the form of a whale. (laughs) I don't know what it could be in the form of for you. Oftentimes, it's in the form of suffering. That God sovereignly orchestrates our lives and brings suffering and even orchestrates suffering into our lives to love us. Not to punish us, but to love us. To recapture our attention and our affections once again. That He loves us. He indeed loves us. And so often we are so far too stubborn, aren't we? We are so far too curved in on ourselves. And yet the Lord, in His sovereign love and grace, brings divine interruptions into our life to once again capture our hearts. You know, if you look at the life of Jonah and you compare it to the life of Jesus, it's kind of interesting. Think about this. You know, Jonah was in a good place, right? In Israel, he was doing good work for the Lord, right? And then God said what to Jonah? He said, Jonah, I want you to go to another place and do a different work for the sake of people I love. People who are facing imminent judgment, right? What did Jonah say? No. No, Lord. Think about Jesus. Jesus was in heaven, right? Ruling the universe by the word of His power, enjoying intimacy with His Father, adoring the angels. He was in the best place, doing the best work, enjoying the best life. And then the Father said to Jesus, much very similar to what He said to Jonah, Jesus, Son, go to another place where you will be utterly rejected. You will live a life that's going to lead to torture and crucifixion and death. You will become an atoning sacrifice for people who I love who are facing an eternal judgment. And what did Jesus say? Yes. He said, yes. Do you know this Jesus? The one who said yes to his Father for you because he loves you. He really does love you. And oh, beloved, my prayer is this in these upcoming weeks that we are going to see just how radically God loves us that he would even bring these divine interruptions into our life to captivate our hearts and minds and to show us his sovereign love for us and for the nations. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. This was long. I know there was a lot here this morning, but I think we needed to have this 
strong building of a background of Jonah in his life to understand just how, not to be focused in on, on Jonah's failures, but Lord, maybe through Jonah's vulnerability here in this autobiographical biography that he wrote of himself, not that we would be focused in on Jonah's failures, but we would more so see in this biography ourselves of how we often say no to you, that we're so curved in on ourselves, we're so selfish, we're so foolish at times. But Lord, you divinely interrupt our lives again and again and again just to tell us that you love us and that you sent Jesus not just as an interruption, but Lord, you sent, you sent him as a restoration to be a restoration of our lives and to make a world that was broken and fallen to, as Revelation said, make all things new. Jesus, we pray, would you make our lives new, that we would trust you, we would not run from you, but we would embrace Jesus. We would embrace your radical love for us and be known by that. So Lord, we love you. I pray that you would help us. Help us as a church, Lord, to love you and love your glory and love the nations instead of being internally focused. Lord, I pray because of Jesus and his powerful, radical love for us, we would be externally focused on this community and and even to the corners of the earth that Wellspring would have a missionary heart for the lost, for the sake of Jesus and his glory and his fame and his name and for our joy. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.